0: welcome back to principles and practice i am your host chris heslip and today we are welcoming to the show simon curran simon is the ceo and founder of shine limited an agency working uh, with people on marketing and leadership development Uh, stay with us as you're going to hear from simon his four-part approach on how to deal with ambiguity and he's also going to share his three-part approach to me, we, and go on how to form a high-performing team. Over to Simon. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of These Principles in Practice. We are joined by a very special guest this week, Simon Curran. Simon, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Well, hey, uh, let's get started and tell us a little bit about you and how you came to found Shine. Yeah, well, th- uh, thank you. So we, we
1: founded our business uh, 14 years ago, um, and it's sort of been a tale of a couple of parts. We always had a love for creativity, uh, believe it's our greatest natural resource, one of our most undervalued natural resources also. Um And so that that went on a journey for a while. We then started saying to our clients, rather than charging them fees, what if we co-invested with them? And so that got us into the hospitality industry uh, where we started investing into restaurants and bars. Um, And then about five years ago, six years ago, the unique way the universe works, uh, my daughter, who was then five, had a cardiac arrest on the back of a boat. And that led to a... A rethink of uh, what to do and how to do it and whom to do it with. And so out of that, we've formed a new business working now in the space of, I guess, leadership and human potential. So uh, it's like the bar from Star Wars at our place. There's a whole lot of interesting tales and, and uh, uh, engagements, but incredibly stimulating.
0: I love it. now. I'm sure that uh, people listening to this, they're wondering, you know, where is that uh, accent from? Is that Australia, South Africa? I mean, I've heard it all. Okay, it's
1: New Zealand. It's from New Zealand. <laughs> come on, Chris, come in <laughs> on. No, very much a Kiwi. Very much uh, proud of being home.
0: No, I, I uh, people ask me all time, like, where is your accent from? Are you, are you from South- I heard last week, South Africa, that was the latest one. So <laughs> yeah, uh, no. I just thought we'd get it out of the way. Well, um, today we wanted to talk about, you know, how to thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. And um, I understand that's something that's really important to you. So share with us a little bit about, about why it's important.
1: Yeah, well, let me, let me step back a couple before getting into a, a sort of framework we developed. Um, and, and this is a bit of a, it's a soapbox for me because it's, uh, I think de- tools to deal with ambiguity were always important and then this thing called COVID hits and the world where, hey, we need tools for dealing with ambiguity. For us, it started about five years ago with a study of high-performing teams. We wanted to get an understanding of what's the difference between good and great teams, or probably more specifically, the distinction between a team of champions versus a championship team. And that study started in the boardrooms of Silicon Valley, all the expected names, the high-performing organizations, but what we found as we were talking to them is they weren't talking about each other. it wasn't that they were saying, Hey, we know that we're great, but this other organization, they're great. In fact, they were looking outside of what we might call the kind of a corporate sector. And one of the first um, environments that kept getting reference was surgical teams. So we were like, well, why, why surgical teams? And their point was, well, how was it that when a surgeon cuts open a, a kid's chest, and that child starts bleeding out on the table. Out of nowhere, this kind of this, this symphony arrives: of the clamper knows what to do, the bleeder knows what to do, the nurse knows what to do, the doctor does his or her thing, and literally saves a life. That's who these Silicon Valley board teams were studying. So we went and spent some time with a range of surgical teams and, and of most notoriety, the a neurosurgeon out of Stanford, and he said. He said, look, I know that we're good at what we do, but we study very different environments. Who so we've been studying are Formula One pit lanes. Okay, that's interesting. Why Formula One pit lanes? And there's a, there's a children's hospital actually in London that was redesigned on the premise of how Formula One pit lane works. They said the analogy is the same. Incoming at a, re- at a, real, at a quick rate. Out of nowhere comes a range of people. They work on this car for three to five seconds, it's hands off, the car goes, and then they forensically debrief how do they optimize their performance. So my partners based out of the US spend some time with some of the Formula One teams trying to get an understanding of what they do. And they would say, look, I know that we're really good at what we do, but we're studying someone quite different who we've been studying as symphony orchestras. Okay, so why a symphony orchestra? Well, how is it that a conductor that doesn't speak and doesn't play a musical instrument yet is in charge of bringing the best performances out of everyone in that symphony orchestra. How do they do that with a wink or a look? They they can look at the cellist and let them know you're safe, you're going to perform well, and literally create this harmony. So we spent time with symphony orchestras, and then what they said, hey, who we've been studying are the All Blacks, the uh, National uh, New Zealand Rugby Team. So we spent quite a bit of time working in that environment, and we did all of that to get an understanding of agnostic of environment, what is the core anatomy of championship teams? And we got that down to three particular bits, which for our Sesame Street simple language, we've called me, we, and go. And so what we found is most organizations, and this will be very familiar for you, Chris, and what your experience working with teams over the years, the go bit usually starts with, let's go away for an away day. Let's talk about the target for the year. Let's make it collaborative. Everyone participates in it. Uh, Let's talk about the barriers that might get in the way. We should finish with some drinks because that's always helpful. And then we've done that thing. And so we're good for the year. But what we found is the good teams would start a beat back from that. The good teams before planning the target for the year would say, what are the rituals, the standards, the ceremonies, more than just the platitude values on the wall, but what is it that really makes us distinct? So they would spend a lot of time concentrating on those things with the view that when that's done, what we might call the we, then the go bit, which is the target for the year, that comes relatively straightforward. But the great teams start a beat back from that because you and I, Chris, could stand in a circle and recite the values and the rituals and the standards and know the target for the year, but still feel like we're an imposter still be saying in our mind, is this the moment when someone works out, I'm not very good, I'm not bright enough, I'm not fast enough. And so the great teams were starting this level back at what we might call the me. And that's getting a deep understanding of what is the inner dialogue that's playing in our head. And what we found is most organizations, when they wanna move from an A to a B, they see the gap there and they see that gap as our issue is our capabilities. So what we've got to do is bring in the new quarterback or we've got to train people up. And the problem is when we train people and they're full, it's like tipping water onto concrete. There's nowhere for that to go in. And so our view dealing with the me bit first is actually, it's not about capabilities first, it's about capacity. We have to create some capacity for these new tools and systems to land. And for most of us, our capacity is tied up with the negative way we talk to ourselves. There was a a guy by the name of Dr. Dave Dawkins did a longitudinal study. And he worked, I don't know how they do these studies, but he worked out that 80% of most people's inner dialogue is negative, and about 75% of it is repetitive. So hence the dance we get stuck in day after day. And so what we try and bury in in this me level is, what is it about our traits, our beliefs, our theories that's getting in the way of how we're performing? And if we could get after that and publicly share that, In the sessions we run, then the team harmony, the team vulnerability becomes immensely powerful, from which planning for the annual operating plan becomes a walk in the park. So that's kind of the structure by which we have gone on the journey we have to start developing these tools. So does that, from your experience, does that make sense?
0: absolutely it does i mean so many different angles to take this but let's start with the me part first because i I think that's what you're talking about here and um one of the things that surprised me working with and, and getting a chance to meet with some of the most senior executives in, you know microsoft and amazon and these kind of incredibly large companies is without fail all of them have a coach i mean i was shocked that i would find these division presidents at microsoft and they would have a coach and um, they would treat their coach as one of the most important things on their calendar and they would make time to sit with this individual and and kind of you know talk about what's going on and and get feedback and hear and and deal with some of the you know mind monsters that are sitting in the back of their head challenging them so I'd, I'd love to how do you or how how does your team you know uh maybe using coaching or other ways how do you help people to overcome that that me problem you know to help them go to the next level yeah
1: it's a great question and it's and it's fascinating looking at different markets how uh normalized coaching has become like it's strange we can take our daughters and our children to swimming lessons because they want to swim so we get them a swim coach And that swim coach doesn't need to be a world champion. They just need to observe technique to improve technique. But for a number of people within organizations, we have yet to really jump onto this coaching thing because is that a weakness that I need help off the back of it? And so part of our fascination has been studying these high-performing teams outside of boardrooms has showed us just how common and how powerful the idea of coaching is. If you look at a sports team, if you look at elite soldiers, as example, their worlds are so regimented by rituals and routines, they are constantly reviewing and refining performance. And if they review and refine, most corporates are rinse and repeat. We get up and Tuesday's like Monday, but there's different names in our diary for different meetings. But we don't necessarily watch what we eat and how we train and how we move and how we think and so forth. So in our experience, one on one coaching is incredibly powerful to ha- help dial back some of the noise and increase some of the capacity. But if you viewed it as a petri dish, if you took, and, and we learned this from biology, two healthy cells in a petri dish will multiply off each other and create a healthy culture. But equally, one healthy cell and one unhealthy cell will start fighting each other, and one of those two is going to win, but more often than not, pollutes the culture. And so, in our experience, the real unlock is is teaming. This kind of this notion of systemic teaming. What is it? Because if Chris is being coached and performing well, and Simon's not, we're going to miss each other. And sometimes that happens at home as much as it does a, in the organization. But the idea of having a team coach that doesn't necessarily have the one-on-one relationship, but plays the what I might call the unreasonable friend not trying to catch up on, hey, how was the weekend and getting stuck in the granularity of, I understand why you missed budget. That's just one of those things. But the unreasonableness to say, what if we're capable of far more than we're currently delivering? And one of the first questions we'll ask a team is one to 10. 10 is we're playing our best game possible. Where do you think you are? And most teams will come back usually with about a seven. And then we say, okay, what's the real answer? And then it will sneak back again to like a six. And over the course of that conversation, we kind of, the the provocation is, what if you were capable of far more than you realized? So that six isn't out of 10, actually, it's out of 15, because there's potential that we're leaving on the table every day, we're not getting after it. And so some of the, the work that we do then is to help them define what's possible and then understand what's getting in the way and then get after it.
0: How do you apply some of these principles at Shine? I mean, do you, do, you, do you have someone who's a team coach like that who's challenging people or is there some other way that you, you know, uh, get your team on board with this way of operating?
1: Yeah, and it's, a, again, a great question. Perhaps one of the gifts for us of COVID was we went, we sent everyone home, we, as my, my business partners and I, spent some time on a screen like this saying we're in the service industry And the misconception, therefore, is our health of our business is predetermined by the health of our clients. In other words, you kind of relinquish control. And what if that wasn't to be true? What if you could devise new ways to add new value? And so this, what we call people in performance was a a sideline interest that some of us were involved with. And so we moved that into the heart of our business. And uh, we've now been working with a number of our current clients and new clients going on this journey. We've Uh, We work very closely with New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks, uh, building up curriculum for them so that we can take this gift of what teams have practiced for many years in one environment and then try and test it and imbue it into other environments. And so we're on a journey ourselves, taking all of our people through that, the classic dog fooding that we need to make sure that our people feel it. Otherwise, it's just a it's a. It's a tool that we pitch rather than a way that we believe, a way that we live.
0: Can you double click on that? Like what, what practically, you know, does that involve, you know, in, in trying to get a team to be high-performing like that?
1: Well, so so one of the things we're just working on now is the premise of what, what if 2021 was going to be for all of us our best year yet? And more than just that's catchy as a, as a PowerPoint slide. No, but legitimately, what would our best year yet need to look like? And not just in the facet of work, but in all facets of our life. So, there's a, um, the All Blacks have this tool they call the Perfect Player Profile, which cuts a player's performance into a number of segments from tactical right the way through to holistic. And so, we're going we're really about to start working with our team now on building out what might be their personal performance profile for 2021. Sometimes we know we can major in minor areas. We can concentrate all at work, but things aren't going well at home. We're concentrating well on growth uh, at the sacrifice of fun and adventure. So what we're trying to do is help people map where they are today and what 12 months from now that might look like if it was to be their best year yet. And my experience is simply by having people, number one, think about it. Number two, plan what great would look like. And then number three, really importantly, is share it then you have this sort of shared accountability to it. Then I know what Chris is trying to get after with more fun and adventure. And Chris has got a plan that every month he's going to spend some time in the deep end, which is doing something to stretch his current identity. Then if it's May and Chris hasn't done that, then I get to hold Chris' feet to the fire. Come on, mate, that's, that's not what we agreed. And that's not, you know, I, I use the analogy of sitting in Air New Zealand where the, the over it says, if, if you're in the need of using an oxygen mask, put it on yourself first before putting it on your teammates. So what is the equivalent within a team of putting your oxygen mask on first?
0: Yeah. I love that. That's, that's really helpful. Um, And I think that uh, as a team, you know, we, we have to buy into that, you know, that, Hey, we're not just going to go through the status quo and just, you know, go through the motions, but that we're actually going to take a new challenge uh, on, we're going to try something different. We're going to, um, you know, try and get into uh, someone else's role. Uh, um, companies yeah. have this thing where they, you know, Freaky Friday, basically, hey, you know, uh, everyone swaps jobs for an hour once a week to try and, you know, get people into different mindsets and break them out of that. I was talking to our head of customer success today and said, Hey, let's get our CS people to try and do sales for an hour. You know, like I think people would have a lot more empathy with other people if they truly understood what they had to go through. Do you have any other kind of tips like that, that you think that you've heard of that help people to, to do that, to jump in the deep end and, and try to, you know, uh, understand what it means to, to kind of take a chance.
1: Yeah, and, and so that that that's a great example of one. And and what what we're finding, particularly as people are exhausted more than they have been before, is there is real power in thinking about the system as opposed to a toolbox of tactics. The problem with a toolbox of tactics is they can work for some people when, and in some months, but then pressure comes on and it flies out. And so where we try and lead a team back to is What is, if we have clarity on what the North Star is, then as this team, whether it's the exec team, the call center team, what are our standards that we're gonna put in place as the scaffolding to deliver that North Star? Because when we're clear on our standards, from there, we can design our rituals. Otherwise the rituals can be um, ceremonial as opposed to, no, no, they are hardwired into us. So if I give you an example, the um one of the sound bites they have within the all black environment is the standard you walk past is the standard you accept like that's just a mantra that says when no one else is watching you're very much that is our definition of our culture and so one of the rituals that emerged out of that which is a well-known one in our part of the world is called sweeping the sheds and how sweeping the sheds works is after an all black test match you can imagine the changing room there is tape there are empty drink bottles and so forth And when all the players get up to leave, it's the most senior players in that team that literally sweep the sheds out. They don't leave it for the janitor. They don't delegate it to the junior. That's just, that's their way of setting a standard. And sweeping the sheds as a culture pervades through all areas of their game. When you take that into an organizational context and you think about the end of a lunch meeting, often what will happen is the most senior people are the first up to leave. And perhaps someone rallies up the cups and then leaves with them. But more often than not, it's someone else to come in and sweep. So this idea of the standard, like if you're playing for a legacy, if you want to make it contagious across an organization, not just a tactic, then being very clear on what is the standards and what are the rituals that come off the back of that is, is is I think, a really helpful framework to audition rituals because the problem is we can have more than we need.
0: Well, I have i fascinated by this idea, you know, and in my last company, Pushpay, we had uh, core values that we drove relentlessly through the organization, but I think it fell down because uh, people didn't quite understand and make the mental jump of how in a situation should I apply this value? And so they were good kind of intrinsic values. Hey, we all believe in generosity. We all believe in excellence. We all believe in treating people right. But when it comes to a sp- particular situation, I can't take that value and now figure out how to apply it. So this right. time around at Leader, what we've tried to do is come up with visual pictures, you know, like what you're describing, like sweeping the sheds so that people can try and actually practically uh, have this visual idea of how to apply value. So, for example, one of the ones uh, we just talked about today is, you know, we have a blue collar DNA. Now. Uh, When I say that immediately, you know, oh, like, this is what I mean by that. Now, everyone has a slightly different picture, but you can visualize what that means, you know, that we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. We're not afraid to sweep the sheds. We're not afraid to do the work required. Um, And I think when it comes to values, people oftentimes just throw out these kind of platitudes that, that lack connection to your real work. And that's what I love about what you're talking about here is that people truly can understand what what that means in every facet of their work sweeping the sheds it's obvious what that means um can you can you share any other ones one of the ones i love by the way i love um and and i'm probably going to get this wrong but i think it's uh better people make better all blacks um uh you know the idea of you know character and how that comes in maybe you know or, or any other one you wanted to share about uh i'd love to hear some other other ones that you you work on
1: Chris, it's a, it's it's a um, one of the things that, that's always fascinating is when, when when we go into a new organisation and we ask people about values, it's like we touch the holy the, the, the crown jewels. Everyone sort of stands up straight and they say, "No, no, we know our values." We say, what are they?" And what often happens is they'll name the first three, and then they'll go, "There's a fourth. There's a fourth. What's the?" I always forget the fourth one. And the kind of the clue there is this is a, this is a lovely poster. And it's on the plan on a page, but it's not driving performance. And so um, generosity is one also within an all-black environment. But as an example of what that looks like, when you go into a meeting, if you observe a team meeting, when that meeting is finished, every player will walk across the room to introduce themselves to you as they leave to go to the next room. That's what a generous spirit means in that high-performing environment if you took that and auditioned it against most organizational teams, I mean, at best people have got their phones out and are not using them. But the idea of walking across and introducing themselves and making sure that everyone feels at home, safe to contribute. uh, We respect you and we appreciate you respecting us. That's the difference between a platitude value and a ritual of walking the floor that helps people do it. there is a belief that the what comes off the back of better all Blacks make better people, better people make better all Blacks, is this notion of playing for legacy. That all you are is a custodian of the jersey. Like, like the CFO, you're not the CEO CFO for life, CEO for life, marketing director, sales rep for life. You're protecting a jersey that's gonna have a life that had a life before you or have a life after you. And so when you play for legacy, this idea that the more you have to play for, the more you're, the better you'll play. It unlocks a different threshold of performance. And and great teams can connect the personal why to the organizational why. Like what, what at its hardest point is the reason that I'm here. Not about hitting budget, not about shareholder value. They are consequences of it. But if it's about contributing to another person, creating ripples in a market, um, The All Blacks, again, have this sort of this this, idea that champions do extra. So very famously, some of the most iconic All Blacks would either arrive at a training session 30 minutes before anyone else, or after the training had finished, they'd do another 30 minutes. This idea that it's the standards you set for yourself are are the way that you will prepare and perform. Whereas often we can, rather than doing the equivalent of 10 precepts If we can get away with seven and no one's looking, we'll take that. Not in these environments.
0: Yeah. And I want to get get to your ABCD framework in just a second, but um, uh, right at the front, you talked about this kind of, you know, me, we, and then go. Um, and, And I think one of the things you're talking about here is this tension between the me and the we, you know, so sometimes what's best for the team is not what's best for the individual. Uh, and maybe, you know, in a sporting environment, we have to drop someone from the team. Um, how, do you, how, how do you deal with that friction between, well, I want to be on the team, but maybe the best thing is not for that player to, to be, you know, named into the squad. Um, there can be that tension that exists. How, how do you deal with that? Or how have you seen high-performing teams deal with that? There,
1: there, seems, there seems to be two bits. If I compare the world of... Um, elite soldiers, SAS, and an elite sports team. Uh, In both environments, the team towers the individual. It's very clear that we are spokes in the wheel, important spokes in the wheel, but the why is far bigger than than what I can contribute. So they, they land that really clearly. But the second thing that they do, again, the distinction between sound bites and rituals, the notion of what, what we call and well-known as radical candor, you know, like honest conversations. I had a very awkward and embarrassing conversation with a big elite soldier who I just got a little bit uh, gun shy. I was like, hey, look, at you. I know what you do. You do things very different from me. And, and we ran out of things to say. And I said to him, hey, I hear you do radical candor. And he kind of looked at me. Strange, and he said, What do you mean? I said, You know, radi- radical candor, you know, like just talking really honestly. And he said, Oh, we call that talking. So, yeah, right. Okay, that's that's great. So, in both environments, take the Formula One pit lane, take the surgical team, take a sports team, take the SAS. The SAS have something that they call a hot wash. As soon as they've come off deployment, within minutes of it finishing, there is a hot wash. And that is a debrief down to the most intricate level of detail. What went wrong? What could we have done better? What's the assumption we're not talking about? What's the conversation we're not having? Let's get that all on the table because Chris and Simon don't need to agree with each other, but we have to get it onto the table because in their world, sport field or on deployment as a regiment, we can't be stuck in our heads to angry at one another. We just have to know we disagree and move on. So those are two profound differences versus the uh de jure topic of we should speak really honestly to each other. It's again it's hardwired in because it's a tool for, for, for performance, not a box to tick to be compliant. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well let's jump into your ABCD framework here and tell us about, you know, these four parts um, you know, from your research that you've that you've discovered. I'd love for you to, to step through each one of those yeah and
1: i'll I'll do this in sort of five minutes this is this is a a a day-long session or it's a 90-minute panel but but what what we went on is this kind of this this journey of trying to get an understanding as things get increasingly volatile and ambiguous what might be a very simple framework to help individuals at a me level or organizations and teams at a we level traverse these troubled times and so the a b c d very very simply stands for first awareness belonging curiosity, and drive. So if I, if I start with awareness, awareness is the sense that having a deep understanding of where as an individual you are in this moment. You know, there's a, there's an understanding that crisis takes us as it finds us. One of our team members might be really ready for this, others not. They might be ready in a work context, but at home they're not. And so the framework around awareness is trying to get a deep understanding where that individual is and meeting them as an individual. And a great framework that we've found in a one-on-one environment that we've taken from a high-performing team is rather than the standard one-on-one format, they ask four very simple questions. How are you? No, how are you really? Which gets us past the, oh, I'm busy. No, no, how are you really? Third is, how are we working together? And then the fourth question is, what's something that I can do to help you improve your performance. Now as a construct under the the idea of deep self-awareness, that's a very different format from a one-on-one discussion about what someone has or hasn't done well or not well. But also there's a lot of personal responsibility at the awareness level, because I sense that you need to strengthen yourself to carry more load. So if you are under duress and stress, the questions that we get into in this environment is, well, what are you doing to help yourself Perform at a better level, less time on social, more time exercising. Um, What we know about these high performing environments is they'll push people out of their comfort zone, not to create additional stress, but to deliberately extend their identity. Because sometimes, you know, like we we are hardwired from a young age that when we get anxious and stressed, that's because tigers were in in bushes. That that ain't happening anymore. But at a physiological level, when we're stressed and anxious, there's a sense that we want to get active. So encouraging people at an awareness level to be very clear on what they are and what they might do differently, isn't that? I think the heart of it is belonging. And belonging for us has two bits. That is to be accepted for who you are and expected to perform at your best. So there's two very different parts to that. You can be any demographic that that you could call out. You could be white middle class sitting in a group of white middle class people and still feel like you don't belong. So belonging is different from just fitting in. Fitting in is contortionately moving to be part of everyone else. But when someone genuinely belongs, they bring their fresh perspective. They know that there is no corner to cut because the expectation is I'm going to do my very best for Chris and the team and leader. If I don't, I'm letting the team down. Therefore I'm letting myself down. So that that in of itself is a huge area of personal growth area. This model was developed by uh, partners of ours, which I'm part of called Propel Performance Group. And one of the things that Propel have particularly studied is this idea of curiosity. This understanding that one of the elite soldiers we worked with, I asked him the question, "What, what is that defining characteristic of an elite soldier? And I thought it would be grit, strength, but her response was it's curiosity because it's the most curious person that gets themselves out of a jam where others say there's no way out. And so when people have a deep sense of awareness and they feel accepted and expected to bring their best then curiosity or what otherwise known as creativity can flourish. So we spend a lot of time helping teams and individuals develop the tools to enable that creativity to fly. It's easy to say ideas can come from anywhere, but but legitimately how do you make that contagious with an organization? And so what we know is the more curious a mind is. I was introduced to curiosity when our daughter had her um, cardiac arrest. A physician said to me, you're gonna hear a lot now about post-traumatic stress. This idea that life is normal and then an event happens and the gravitational force is to spiral down. But his explanation to me is there is the opposite phenomenon. You can spiral up and there is a one word difference between that journey and that's curiosity. So his suggestion was pick a topic, any topic, and color your mind in it because that will stop it being polluted by the gravitational pull down. So that's in the curiosity wow. space. And then the final is drive. Drive is this, what is the new cadence for performance? It's unrealistic to believe we can have 10 out of 10 days every day. But picking the moments to be at our best and acknowledging the moments where we don't need to, that's really, really important. And what we find is these high-performing environments have systems and tools and rituals to not only let people know where they are and the need to perform, but also chunking a week into blocks. That more than just my diary says it's Tuesday and I'm meeting with Derek, no, no, this stage and this project is here, which means that's the only conversation we need to have. Coming up next is that conversation. Let's reserve that for that day. And it's in the drive box where we really drive in the rituals and the regimens and the reviews to avoid doing the muscle memory rinse and repeat. The combination of those all work together, it looks like an, an expanding sun because the more you sweat the basics of it, it grows and grows and grows. And that effectively in our world is capacity opening up. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a quick whiz through that model
0: that's that's fantastic so um i'd love to hear how talk about in a a corporate setting you know how might an organization apply that um and you know maybe maybe just one example of you know maybe some even part of it because obviously it's a holistic framework but how have you seen people apply that to get you know better results
1: well let's take um take just one of those letters take belonging and take the induction moment so when if 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 I make the all-black team, there's a ritual that the team performs the haka, which is our ceremonial war dance before a game. The entire team does a haka to me to welcome me into that environment. I get my jersey. There's a very carefully designed ritual around onboarding. When you think of most organizations, and this is a a generalization, and it's an unfair one to, 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 to use an extremity, Sometimes people have their computer ready, their desk ready, their calendar ready, but other times it's welcome to the team, the toilets are there, I'm going to fly, but we'll catch up at some stage. So the expectation of joining a high-performing team is before you start, I'm going to set the framework. I'm going to tell you what it means to be expected to perform at your best, but before that, I want you to feel accepted for who you are. So if you, if you wrote down, here's how we onboard someone in our team and benchmark that against best in class, you'll get a sense of how much of the capacity of the individuals in your team you think you're accessing. And that's just one point on a journey. The one-year anniversary, the birthday celebration, that having achieved success, having missed success. If we diagnose those moments through the lens of belonging, accepting people for who they are and expecting them to perform at their best, the clues are phenomenal as to how to try and unlock that. And that's just in that, that, that one space. If I use another being drive, um, uh, if you, again, if you audition the way that most, most, most people would say most days, time is my issue. Like I just don't have enough time. We all have the same gift of it every day. But some people seem to be able to utilize it far better than others. Now, that can be what we might call a weather report. That's something that we blame other people for. But getting understanding of what is the target, what is the North Star, what are the the standards and the rituals, and then looking at someone's diary to say how much of that moves from being thinking to being practice is a great way of illuminating, are we just chewing the fat in a workshop or are we genuinely trying to curb jump performance? So there'll be two examples of two different letters.
0: I love that. I think one of the like even the very basic things to do on belonging, you know, is I know we had uh, um, executive leave his previous job and come over uh, to work at Leader, and we uh, sent him and his wife some flowers saying "Welcome to the team." You know, we're so glad that you know you've taken the opportunity to be part of Leader, and you know that one simple act, you would not believe at how big of an impact that has because you know, all of a sudden it's, wow, I feel welcome here. I'm, you know, people are glad that I'm on the team. They understand that I'm taking a chance by leaving a job and coming over here. It's not, you know, just something that's, that's easy to do. You know, it's someone potentially uh, uprooting their life and and moving to a different place of employment. And, and so um, that one little thing made them feel like, wow, we've really made the right decision and just thinking through you know, those really critical pieces of where people can you know, potentially have a good or a bad experience you know, are, are so important. And it's possible to take something where someone has tremendous uncertainty and turn it into a really positive experience just by doing some, some very basic things uh, really well.
1: Great example. And you know, we, we can
0: fall into a trap of believing
1: we don't have time or we don't have budget. Like if one of the things that fascinates me, if you look at the, the amount of money an organization spends on technology versus the amount of time that an organization spends looking after the people that use the technology, often the delta between those two things is immense. And, and so like if you walk into any room in any team and you know that team well enough to plot them on a one to 10, what if that room is currently at a six? So as as individuals, but on aggregate. And with no more budget and no more hours, if the leader can move them from a six to an eight, that twenty percent jump in performance—and there's no voodoo to that. That might simply be an understanding of where are they at as awareness. How safe do they feel they belong? How how readily do they contribute? Are they being opened or closed-minded? How might we help them open that up for a bit? And what sort of pace are they running at? Is this a sustainable pace? Are they running faster than they should because they don't feel worthy? So if we, can, if we can tweak areas in all four of those quadrants and we can move teams from a six to an eight, that's material, material difference to an organisation. If we can make it contagious and that ripples through an organisation, it's systemic, then we have curb jumped our performance, which is why back to the earlier point that you're making, we know that some of the, the world's most impressive venture firms, as an example, are making coaching not just encouraging it's part of term sheets like it's it's just what it is this is this is the new expectation for the new level of performance
0: well i think the people who want to win are willing to go through the uncomfortableness of having someone critique and give them feedback but i think you know it's the the folks who are insecure you know who just may, perhaps don't even have the same drive to win that are the ones who push back against that that feedback because they know that there's going to be some things there that's very hard to digest. And so uh, the more secure you are, the more willing you are to have someone give you that feedback on how to improve. So I love that. Well, Hey, let's get to uh, our five uh, questions for our quick fire round. Um, So the first question I'd love to hear, what is the most impactful book that you've ever read? Easy. Uh,
1: Victor Frankl's man's search for me.
0: I love that book. Okay, uh, second question. If you could use one word to describe your leadership style, what would it be?
1: Enabling. Okay,
0: third one. Uh, What is your biggest distraction working from home?
1: Um, I'm conscious of whom I watch this. It would be I've got two little dogs. And I love having dogs, but I've got dogs that get confused by grass. I've got a dog with a goldfish memory, so each morning it sees grass and it freaks out. So it's hard explaining that multiple times during a meeting that my dog might see grass and freak out. But that's that would be that. <laughs>
0: I've heard I've heard some impressive answers. Yeah, uh, people getting distracted by all the pies left over after Thanksgiving, but um, uh, a a dog with a short memory span. It's I like that one. Um, Okay, the fourth question, uh, tell us uh, one of your biggest failures.
1: Uh, Often. uh, I think my biggest failure is getting stuck in my ego and not taking the time to dissect what went wrong, blaming other people, beating myself up about it, rather than diagnosing it. Tom Kelly from IDEO has this lovely framing of being an archaeologist, which is looking at something and just gradually dusting off the sand to reveal what's there rather than a digger. And too often I'm a digger, not an archeologist. So I just, I need to slow it
0: up. That's a great analogy. Okay. Last one. Uh, I have this kind of, and this question I ask every uh, person who comes on the, on the show, but have this theory that a big part of leadership is how you make people feel. Uh, and we've talked about that a little bit today. So uh, tell us about a time someone believed in you when perhaps they shouldn't have.
1: Uh, boy, i uh, i went to a I went to a boys' boarding school, and um, I had a story in my head that I was into sport and, and I enjoyed sports, and maybe that was my way of going. And uh, classes were just the gaps between lunchtime and playtime. Like that was my thing. And a a teacher, a charismatic Robin Williams type dude said to me, the problem for you is you don't believe in yourself, pick something and go after it. And at a young age, I thought, damn, that's true. And from that moment, I think that was probably my first introduction to curiosity. So a particular teacher in a particular classroom on a particular day, I think changed my trajectory just by posing that question. And if, what if leadership's that simple? What if it's not the big presentation or the personal development plan? It's just letting someone know that they're safe and that you care and that they're capable of more. Where could that take the people?
0: Wow. Uh, that is a phenomenal question to wrap up on, Simon. Where where can people find more about you? I mean, some of the stuff you've talked about today around leadership is just phenomenal. So, where can folks go to find more about you and about um, the stuff that you're talking about today?
1: Uh, number. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn under Simon Curran. They uh, they can also come to our website, which is www.shinelimited.co.nz. shine limited, S H I N E L I M I T E D in e or drop me a note. I'm at Simon at Shinelimited.co.nz. So um uh so I'd love to help in any way. And let me just reverse back. I think. Chris, what, and let me give you this, this, this gratitude back. A, for the invitation to be part of what you're doing. B, the journey that leaders are. And C, what you've done for our country. Because the success that you've had, you're an inspiration for so many people. And uh, we need, the world needs characters like yourself at the moment, more than ever. So keep doing what you're doing, the leader team, the, the, the all, everything that you're across. Because... It's noticed and it really makes a
0: difference. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, Simon. It means a lot. And you know, I think uh, I've, I've seen this in New Zealand before. But you know, um, I know people see um, companies like PushPay, and they they say you know you've got to do one thing, or you can't you can't sell the company, or even part of the company, things like that. But you know, I think it's such a small-minded mindset that you know uh, PushPay should lead to dozens of new companies you know of of the next generation and the next generation and those familiar with the new zealand startup scene you know the trade me's lead to zeros which lead to push bays and and so on and so i think that uh we we uh as the country of new zealand need more startup success stories you know not fewer and there was people who went before us and so it's you know a privilege to follow in their footsteps and to have uh hopefully other people coming behind us and you know i think is one of the things i really believe now and, and just what we talked about a moment ago is that you know we when we get 20 30 years down the track we remember the people who believed in us uh specifically even at those times when sometimes we didn't believe in ourselves and so uh I, I echo what what you're saying and and i think uh when you see people who have done it and who have had success it enables you to to think on a bigger picture um, and so it's, it's a privilege to have folks come on, on this podcast and share uh, what they've learned because that helps and encourages so many other people. Of
1: course, awesome. do it.
0: Fantastic. Great. Well, Simon, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time and I uh, look forward to catching up soon. Look forward to it. Take care. Cheers, Chris. All right. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time on Principles and Practice. Today is the last show in this current season. So we'll be back next year with a brand new season with some brand new content. So in the meantime, don't forget to check out the links in the description below for more information about Simon and his organization Shine Limited. If you haven't already checked out our community, it's free to do so. Check out recipes.leader.com and feel free to post any questions you have there and would love to see you there. Uh, We'll also put the link in the description below to uh, our test kitchen as well.